Welcome you all. It's good to have you here today. So we've been through an ugly 2020, haven't we? And we've got to have some fun with this because, I mean, it's been a tough year. Um, we've had ugly politics, ugly pandemic, ugly economy, and the ugly just keeps on going. Things have not been an easy time. And at this point in time, when we're supposed to be gathering together as family, and we're supposed to be having a wonderful time in all these Christmas parties. We can't even gather together or have them easily. And the year is just dragging on. 2021 might be a little tough too, at least for the beginning of it. Some of you might now might be in the middle of Christmas blues. I don't know if you know what that means. Um, a blue Christmas is for those who have faced the loss of a loved one this last year, and this is the first Christmas without them. Or you might be like some of our families dealing with health issues right now at this time and wondering what the future holds. Then there's just the anxieties over uh, the economy, jobs, housing, all of these things millions of Americans are facing, as well as depression over what's going to change or what's going to happen. You know, Christmas is becoming an ugly time of the year for a lot of people. But it's not the first Christmas that was. The original, like we said, the first Christmas when Jesus was born, he wasn't born <laughs> at a Macy's in a shopping mall with glitz and glamour, but in a manger with cow poop around him, right? It was a hard start to it. And um, for hundreds of years before, hundreds of years before, things were kind of ugly for the people of God. We're going to be looking at a prophecy today as we look at um, ugly leadership today, a prophecy from the book of Jeremiah. And uh, we're going to see that they had some pretty ugly and bad leaders in Israel for quite a while. Um, John Maxwell said it quite well. It's kind of the thing to remember. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leader. I believe that's the biggest problem that Judah had at the time that Jeremiah was writing. Because they had some bad leaders. The last great king of Israel under that Jeremiah knew was Josiah, and after him, and I know you might not have heard of that name before, um, but after him come four ugly, difficult, yucky kind of kings. Jeremiah 22, the chapter before our reading today, lists them out and what happened under them. So we have Jehoaz, Josiah's fourth son, who ruled only three months. That's how long his rule was. And he was deposed by the Egyptians. Then came Jehoiakim. And he reigned for just a short time as well. He's the second son of Josiah. He was installed by the Egyptians as king. Then he got deposed by Babylon after Egypt was defeated. He rebels against Babylon, trying to get Egypt back in. He was negotiating the whole time. He ends up under siege by Nebuchadnezzar in 598 BC, where he probably lost his life and thousands and thousands of God's people also died. 598 BC, after him comes Jehoiachin, his son. He reigns a whole three months and Nebuchadnezzar takes him off into captivity, puts him in prison in Babylon, and then a puppet king 
set up by Nebuchadnezzar himself, Zedekiah, whose name is kind of ironic for our text today. Zedek is righteousness. Ayah is that the Lord is. So Zedekiah is righteousness is the Lord. He reigns for 11 years, but he's a puppet. And according to 2 Kings 24, it says this, under Zedekiah, um, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Under Zedekiah's rule, a coward of a king, things fall apart even more. He finally and, uh, is uh, captured himself, trying to escape from Babylon. Jerusalem is laid siege and destroyed. The temple is flattened. Everything is ruined. And Zedekiah gets to watch all of his kids and family be killed in front of him by Nebuchadnezzar, and then they poke his eyes out. And you're going like, yeah, that's ugly, and it's in the Bible, by the way. It's in the Bible, okay? Yeah, um, ugly times. Ugly times. So everything rises or falls with leadership, and so Jerusalem fell. We're going to talk about that from the prophecy we have now in Jeremiah 23, a beautiful prophecy in one sense, but it shows the ugliness of the situation as well. And that is from Jeremiah 23, and after we read it, we'll pray. Jeremiah writes, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherd who cares for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely and his name which, by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Do you realize how ironic that is? That's the opposite of Zedekiah's name. Zedekiah's name was righteousness is the Lord, and this is the Lord is our righteousness. Kind of the anti-Zedekiah is going to be on the throne, and thank God, because the Zedekiah was the worst. The worst. So from this text today, I want you to realize, I would dare say you look at almost any of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, any of the prophecies of the Messianic age, and they were spoken in an ugly time, in a difficult time, kind of in the opposite time. It's in the midst of darkness that the light shines, okay? And here we've got the same thing. So we're going to learn these three things from this passage. The cost of ugly leadership, the difference of a true leader and the cost of being that true leader. Okay, so first of all, the cost of ugly leadership. Jeremiah wrote, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Notice a few things in that passage. First of all, that Jeremiah is saying that these are my sheep, that these were my people. You were supposed to take care of them. I entrusted you as a shepherd over the sheep, and yet instead of caring for them, you have destroyed them and you have scattered them. That's the cost of ugly leadership. You know, the sheep-sheep uh, uh, shepherd metaphor 
is kind of an, a good understanding of leadership, by the way. Because a shepherd is entrusted with the care of the sheep. The position of the kings and the priests and the other rulers and the nobility in the day of Israel meant that they had great influence. They could lead the people in different directions and the people were like sheep that would follow those leaders. So what makes a good leader? What makes a bad leader? You know, um, modern theories of leadership often now will talk about the skills that you need for good communication, intelligence, the knowledge that you need, the skills of negotiation, the skills of handling conflict, the knowledge you need of team dynamics, and you will find that all taught. But the biblical foundation of leadership looks beyond just skills and knowledge to character. Character matters. It's not about IQ or personality in these texts. It's about the character of these kings and of these other leaders. As the shepherd was to have the focus on the welfare of the sheep, so the kings of Israel were to have their focus on the welfare of God's people. But instead, they scattered the flock. They didn't care about the flock. They didn't care about anybody but themselves. Jeremiah is not the only prophet that talks about like this. You can read also in the prophet Ezekiel chapter 34, contemporary to Jeremiah. He writes this, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. So instead of using their position to care for the flock, they use their position to care for themselves. Sound familiar? Sound like leaders you might know? Hmm. You know, what motivated them in this text, it was all about self-promotion, self-aggrandizement, using people for my gain. But that was not at all what leadership was supposed to be in biblical times at all. And the people suffered for it. You know, from, from even in the days of Solomon, they suffered from high taxation and having their sons taken away into pointless wars. But the real sad part, I think, about this is the fact that it's not that they just had taxes and wars and all sorts of things like that, but the way that they started to follow after the lives of their leaders. When the leader was not worshiping the true God, they also decided it wasn't worth worshiping. They wanted to be like the leaders that were on the throne. And that was the problem already. God had talked about that would be the problem when they'd asked for kings in the first place in the book of Samuel from the prophet himself. Rene Girard, I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. He was a groundbreaking historian and literary critic and philosopher. Um, his work, I guess, is considered in the tradition of anthropological philosophy. Like, what? Yeah, I know. Um, he surmised, though, that human beings learn through imitation. Okay? Mimicry. So, like, little Johnny here learns through his two parents um, mimicking them mirroring to them, all sorts of things. 
okay? He said, children don't know what they really need or want or how to behave, but they mirror it, whatever the parents, whatever others around them. And what's true of children is actually true of all of us, he said. He writes this, man is the creature who does not know what to desire, and he turns others in order to make up his mind. We desire what others desire because we imitate their desires. Now, do you realize that's why, you know, tell me, why do ad agencies hire celebrities for their products? I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew McConaughey knows nothing about cars and automobiles and what makes a good one, but boy, he can sell them, right? You've seen the ads. Why? Because advertisers know we mimic others. We imitate. We follow. Okay? Why do companies look for social influencers on TikTok or YouTube and pay people to do absolutely nothing? Do you understand? You know why? Because they know that we follow those influencers. We want to be like them. There are so many children now and so many young adults who think that someday they're going to be famous like, and you can fill in the blank, like 15%, I think, of young, young adults now believe they're going to be famous someday. It's like, that's impo do you understand that's, that's like um, 10 million famous people in the United States? How is that going to be possible? But we somehow think that. You see, what happens is our desires are shaped by our leaders. That's probably more important than even the fact that they may lead us poorly and treat us poorly, is the fact that we start modeling our lives after the leaders that we have. And for Israel, that was sad. Because their leaders were self-serving, they started to become self-serving in their whole society. The leaders were worshiping idols, they became uh, idol worshipers. The leaders made deals with the nations around them, like I talked about, Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Syria. And guess what? They started to wheel and deal and be manipulative and deceptive within their own human relationships in their own cities and cultures, communities and families. You know, leaders were supposed to be those who actually led, served, used their position for the sake of the community. But instead, as they became self-serving, they taught everyone around to do just the same. So Ezekiel 34 goes on and says this as well. It says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So on top of being self-serving, a big problem with the leaders of Israel, the kings and others who were leading at the time, is that they were not protecting the weak and the vulnerable in their society. They allowed the society's values to go in a whole different way so that it became a total cutthroat business rather than social justice for their society. That is, that treating people fairly and justly and righteously. And, the, and you remember in the prophets Amos and others who called and said, your worship is so ugly because you are not about justice or righteousness. You're just about lip service. Israel were the people God had chosen to represent God in this world. 
to bring about the character of God and reflect a God of compassion, a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God of truth and faithfulness. And instead, they looked like everybody else. That was the cost of ugly leadership. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You might go like, well... (laughs) John, I, we've become very cynical in our age and, uh, now over everybody and over anybody who's ever in leadership anywhere and think, yeah, that's what they all are. Everybody's the same. Everybody's just in it for themselves. But the cynicism hasn't turned out good for us or for society at all. In fact, it's working against us. I guess we're just now used to expecting our politicians to be so egocentric and narcissistic that they're only looking to be reelected and they don't really care about their people. I guess we only expect business leaders to be um, difficult to work for and in fact run roughshod over their employees and to charge whatever they can get away with in society. I guess we just now expect our forts sports figures to live a lifestyle that's high and grand and who cares about anyone else and I expect and we expect even our cultural influencers to just be totally hedonistic and self-centered and we think that's just normal it's not it's not these things destroy culture the way that God had set it up It's all turning ugly, and we've got to recognize it. It's not always been that way here in our culture. It's not always been that way in our world. So you might say, John, okay, that's what ugly leadership looks like. What does good leadership look like? That's our second point. See, God had established his world order all the way at the beginning that we would be the crown of his creation, that we would reflect his glory, his goodness, and his character. That what it means to be created in the image of God was not that we had the power that God had, not that we had the wisdom as in the knowledge that God had, but that we had the character of God that we reflected his goodness, that we reflected his love, his mercy, his grace in our relationships. And that is when cultures and communities are brought together. And that is still the way that culture and community is brought together. You know, many of you know, I teach a class called Fundamentals of Leadership at FGCU, Florida Gulf Coast University. And I've read a lot of books and a lot on leadership. And I'll tell you that the best leadership models, though they might talk about skills and they might talk about um, knowledge that a leader needs to have, in the end, ultimately, the best types of leadership behaviors, etc., are seen as truly character traits. For instance, um, Kuzis and Posner have written one of the more comprehensive books on leadership called The Leadership Challenge, and they've studied leaders across cultures and across times, and they have found these five different traits to be extremely important. Modeling the way, inspiring a shared vision, challenging the process, empowering others to act, and encouraging the heart. And when you find leaders doing these things, what you're really finding is that they are aligning themselves with the purpose of what leadership is to be, and they are serving a larger people and not themselves. They're not looking at trying to serve themselves, but they are serving the common good for others. 
And whether they're consciously doing it or unconsciously doing it, they're doing what God had set the world up in the first place, to be like. And they do. Leaders, everything rises and falls on leadership. And they can. And over time, we have seen great leaders throughout history who have brought their people closer in line with what God's will is for human relationships. And you can probably think of great leaders or influences in your life that you go like, yeah, I'd like to be like that person someday. Or I'd like my children to be like that person someday. Here's something, though, that I find that's really interesting. When it comes to these types of leadership principles, we can write them out, we can figure them out, we can have a class on this stuff. And I don't mind teaching it because I can find where it aligns with my, um, my faith and my background quite easily. But the question comes down to why are these so important, these types of qualities? And what you find is people just don't know how to answer that question. Okay, so you want people to model the way and to live with integrity, but why? You want people to have, encourage the heart and raise other people up, but why? Why is it so important to do these things? Why is it so important to have those qualities? Adam Grant, for example, he is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania uh, Wharton School of Business. He's done research on all sorts of different leaders across the board in a book called Give and Take. And in it, he finds that most cultures and most places all believe that leadership has the same, that they value the same types of qualities. There are two different lists of things. And what's amazing is, though, you think that we might value winning we might value success. We might value um, all of those types of things that are on that list. I don't know if you see that one, Hunter. It's got two lists on it. Yeah, okay. Wealth, power, pleasure, winning. Actually, in all these cultures, in all of these places, it's helpfulness, responsibility, social justice, and compassion that are important. There's no culture that doesn't value those more important. Not one. But the question is why? Why are those important? Why is it more important to give than to take? Why is it more important to be helpful or compassionate than to be self-serving? And the world has a hard time answering that question. And maybe you would or we would too, except for the fact that we've met someone who is like that, named Jesus, who fits in with that, according to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up a da for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and his name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness a righteous branch. is that fascinating? A shoot. He's saying after this terrible five, four last kings, the stump, in fact, Isaiah talks about the stump, the big tree, the proud, tall cedar is cut down to a stump 
Israel. There's nothing much left. There's no dynasty left. But out of the stump, a tender shoot, a little sapling will rise. That's what's so fascinating about Jesus. He doesn't come from a high and lofty place in terms of born in a royal palace or born with all sorts of privilege. He's actually at the lowest rung when he is born, placed in a manger in a cow stall, um, (laughs) treated poorly from the beginning. Jesus is kind of like that tender shoot. He doesn't look like a leader, and yet he's the greatest leader of all. He doesn't look like he's important, and yet you find your ultimate value through him. And Jesus himself contrasts his leadership, who he is, and the leaders that were around him in his day and age as well, with what else but that shepherd sheep analogy. I don't know if you realize that's what's going on when in John chapter 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. That is the good leader. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you have that one up or not? John chapter 10, verse 10 to 14. I think I have it. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. He, he who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not, n- n- not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is saying the leaders of Israel at his time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, they're either hired hands who don't care about the sheep and they'll run away when there's ever trouble, or they're actually thieves that steal and rip the sheep off and have nothing to do with the way God wants his people led. But I, I am the good leader, the good shepherd. And we find out what cost, our third point, the cost of being that true leader that Jesus has. You see, what distinguishes Jesus from any other world leader, and by the way, I can't find a religious world leader who does what Jesus does. There are others who founded world religions, but they never do what Jesus does. And there are those who have founded empires and kingdoms and organizations, but never did what Jesus does. What he says that distinguishes him from every other leader is that I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why he's worthy to follow. He gives up his entire life for you. How can we not but follow such a person as him? Leadership A lot of people think it's just a wonderful thing, you know. I want to be a leader. You've probably heard a lot of people say that. I've got a lot of students who take a leadership class, and they think, oh, being a leader means I can tell everybody else what to do, and they've got to like my ideas, and I get to do things the way that I've always thought they should be. You don't get to be dictator, by the way. That's not leadership. That's just foolishness. If you want to be a good leader... People will willingly follow you. And to do that, you find out pretty quick how much it's going to cost you to be a good leader. 
I remember when I was younger, I would always go like, oh, man, I can't wait someday. <coughs> Excuse me, until I get a church of, you know, three, 5,000. I wasn't going for like the ten or 20,000s that we've got in our society, right? But, you know, oh, that'll be great, you know, because I'm, you know, I've got the knowledge. I've got the skills, whatever it is. I didn't have the character, you know. Secondly, I started getting to know a few of those leaders through different leadership events that I went to. And after a while, I thought, yeah, I don't want to have to know. I was amazed at the cost that many pastors of large churches, like huge churches, had to pay in terms of their own lives, their own, um, you know, in order to lead faithfully a large organization. It's difficult. It's like, yeah, you know, God, I'm not, that is not my end goal. My end goal is just now is to follow you, Jesus. And if Something like that happens, okay, but boy, it's not something to want and grasp for, covet. It's at great cost. And Jesus' leadership, I don't know if you realize this. So we have already in this Jeremiah passage that he's going to be a righteous branch. Like I said, it doesn't look like much of a leader, but not only that, he's from this mighty tree stump comes this little shoot that comes out of it, and that becomes a representative of Jesus and his unique leadership. And do you realize how vulnerable and weak and humble something like that looks like? And Jeremiah is not the only one that talks this way. Isaiah 11, another one of these prophecies about the Messiah, says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its, his roots shall bear fruit. There is a uh, old Christmas carol hymn that I like called Behold, a branch is growing of loveliest form and grace. It's about this little tender shoot that pops up. He's not going to be the grand towering oak. He's not going to lord it over his people. Just didn't, Jesus didn't come with pomp and circumstance. He comes like a tender shoot. Isaiah would later say in his prophecies, Isaiah 53, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Interesting, huh? Here's the one to follow, but there's nothing much to look at. And Isaiah 53 is just the beginning of this prophecy that I've given you here. Later on, it talks about where Jesus goes, what he goes through. And he gives up his life as a ransom for many. He is stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, according to that prophecy. It cost him his very life. He was placed in the lowest place, the scum of the earth, when he was raised upon that cross. But through his death, he brings you life. Through his sacrifice, he get, empowers you. Through his love, he inspires you with the vision of the kingdom of God. Through the entire life, he models for you the way to live. 
to how to love God, to serve others, to glorify God, to extend his kingdom. Through everything that Jesus does, he not only encourages your heart, but he melts your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. So when Kuzas and Posner talk about modeling the way, inspiring a shared vision, enabling others to act, challenging the process, encouraging the heart, I cannot but think of Jesus. When I look at those things and go, well, why is it important to model the way? Well, look at Jesus. How do I know what modeling the way looks like? Look at Jesus. That's what even Paul did in the New Testament. He said to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, I think Rene Girard might have gotten the idea of mimicry from Paul. It's nothing new. Paul said, you basically mimic those whom you follow. And Paul says, follow me as I'm following Christ. He didn't say, follow me. And he didn't say, don't follow me. He just said, follow me as I am following Christ. The best leaders in the church or anywhere else in the world are going to be the first ones to be following Jesus. If they're not following Jesus, don't follow them. Do you get it? If you look at someone today and go like, oh, wow, that's great. I would like to. Are they following Jesus? If they are, okay. If they aren't, why are you even following them? Why are you even looking at them? Why are you even thinking about that? Following Jesus. Because he is the one who leads to eternal life. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, everything rises and falls on your leadership. And we thank you that we are gathered around not any person, you, Lord, the person and work that you have done here. We thank you for that, Lord God. Lord, it's been an ugly year. It's been an ugly time. We've seen a lot exposed in our culture and our public discourse. And even among our leaders, Lord God, we despair over so much. Help us, Lord, not to imitate them at their worst but only as they follow you at their best. We pray, O Lord, for the leadership of our culture, our nation, and our world right now, Lord God, that you would instill in them a true humility to follow you. As you talked about the kings here in the book of Jeremiah and how terrible they were at the end of Judah's time as a kingdom, Lord, we look, Lord, now to you to help us that leaders would rise in this world that would not be um, doing their own thing, but truly following you and leading us, Lord, to a place of justice and righteousness, just like you've brought about in your kingdom. We pray especially, Lord, for your church, because our, your church across this world has been devastated by some bad leadership at times, Lord God. Raise up, Lord, leaders that are following you implicitly, explicitly, completely. Raise up leaders um, that we can imitate, Lord, that we can follow. We thank you, Lord, this time of the year that we see in your birth, even at your birth, Lord Jesus, the character of love and truth and compassion and vulnerability and service in this world, Lord. We thank you for that. 
Right now, Lord, we need you to lead us. And we need you to bring your healing and power to bear in our lives in very personal ways. There are those in our congregation right now who need you so deeply and uh, completely. We think of right now Andrea Blankenship. And uh, we pray, Lord, now that she has moved to hospice, Lord, um, well, we place her in your care. We place her, Jeff, Joshua, and Jacob, and Katie, the children, Lord, the family. We're going to put ourselves there too, Lord, because we have been praying for it. And you know, they are family here, Lord. So it hurts to see where we're at right now. And yet at the same time, Lord, we know you're going to lead her to eternal life. You're going to lead us all there, Lord. You've gone through death to give us that life, Lord God. So be a gentle shepherd and lead her, comfort her, comfort Jeff, comfort the family, comfort us. And help us know how to respond to each other in those needs, Lord God. We lift up to you this week, Lord, with services here. We lift up for those who are facing such difficulties now. We pray, Lord Jesus, as a tender shepherd to guide them and lead them whoever they are, wherever they are, and help us to come alongside as under-shepherds, as those who care and nurture one another, Lord, so that uh, we lead them closer to you. Help us, Lord, here, the leadership here at Thrive, um, for the leadership that we are in our community, Lord, to be those who are just following you, and that, that people may follow us or mimic us only because we are following you, Lord Jesus. Bless us now, Lord, as we will uh, prepare our t and have time, Lord, to receive um, the Lord's Supper. The night when you would be led to the slaughter, to betrayal, to a, a, a mock of a trial, to the injustice that we would meet out against you, Lord, that you would still give and give so freely to us. We are amazed at that. So, Lord, um, thank you for all that you've done, for all that you are giving us this day. Bless us, Lord, now with your peace and presence and lead us forth with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.